Due to the graphic nature of this haunted place, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes descriptions of drowning, war, and death by disease. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Tara sighed as she let the sun's rays warm her face and the soft lapping of the water lull her into relaxation. It had taken her 24 hours to get to this beach, but she only had a few hours to savor it before the boat would bring her back to civilization. Her mom used to say, when you get divorced, get out of town. So when Tara's marriage fell apart, she got way out of town, from London suburbs to a remote island in Thailand. She'd researched for months to find somewhere so far away her cell phone wouldn't even work. She'd found an uninhabited island that used to be a burial ground, only accessible by an occasional ferry and private charter. The burial ground was what sold her. She'd heal from life by spending time near death. It was insanely poetic. Tara felt beads of sweat roll down her forehead. It was time to cool off. She got to her feet and headed into the translucent blue water. She waded in, admiring the black volcanic cliffs that surrounded the cove. Then, she shivered. Even though she knew she was alone, she couldn't shake the feeling that someone was watching her. Suddenly, something brushed against Tara's hand, startling her. She looked down into the clear water and into another pair of eyes. A young girl floated below the surface. Her long, dark hair drifted around her head like a tangled halo. Tara's scream caught in her throat. She staggered backward in terror. But before she could get away, the girl grabbed Tara's hand and yanked her underwater. Welcome to Haunted Places, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Greg Paulson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And every Tuesday, make sure to check out Urban Legends. These special episodes of Haunted Places are available exclusively on Spotify. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to Thailand, to the remote island of Koh Kham Noi, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. Coming up, the only fate worse than death is dying alone. Picture a secluded island with white sand beaches, crystal blue water, and black volcanic rocks. It's like something off of a tropical postcard. But if you're already planning your next getaway here, you may want to rethink your plans. Because in the case of Thailand's Koh Kham Noi Island, you'd be vacationing in a graveyard. Koh Kham Noi, also called Ghost Island, is less than half a mile in all directions. It sits off the coast of an area called Chonburi Province, located just southeast of Bangkok. For generations, mainlanders used it as a mass graveyard to bury victims of malaria. Though the tiny isle is open to wanderlusters seeking a place off the beaten path, 
No one lives there. But that doesn't mean it's empty. Donna stood in the burial chamber as her aunt gently wiped her mother's jaundiced face with a sponge. Donna was only 12, so she left the cleaning to the elders, but she wanted so badly to grab her mother's hand. She looked so peaceful lying there, like she was sleeping. There was no sign of her violent illness, the vomiting, the crying, the raging fever. Donna could almost pretend that her mother was just her mother again. But she wasn't. Malaria killed her. And now she was heading to Kokam Noi so her body wouldn't infect others. Donna played with the hem of her white dress as her eyes filled with tears. She begged her uncle to keep her mother close by, but he told Donna to be grateful the Thai government still let them bury their dead properly. Some Islamic communities had been forced to cremate their loved ones. Two men came into the chamber. Donna's chest tightened. She knew who they were, the crew of the boat that would take her mother away. She tearfully watched as they carried her mother from the room. Donna's mother was her haven, the only person in the world that she could trust. Her father died 10 years earlier, in 1908. So it had just been Donna and her mom for as long as she could remember. And now her mother had left her all alone. A wave of loneliness crashed over her. She wasn't ready to say goodbye yet. She wasn't ready to be alone. Donna glanced at her aunt and uncle, huddled together weeping on the opposite side of the chamber. They weren't paying attention to her, so she lunged for the door, slipping through before it closed. Donna followed the two men to the dock at a distance and watched them haul her mother's body into the flat bed of their boat. Once they were gone, she gently slipped over the side and knelt beside her mother. Her heart hammered in her chest. When she looked around to see if anyone was chasing her, she realized the deck was covered in bodies. Donna froze with fear. Her stomach twisted into knots. Her mother's illness had given Dana a deep fear of sickness. And now, she sat inches away from dozens of diseased bodies. Their faces were wrapped in the same cloth as Dana's mother, but she could still see the outlines of their features, cloth-covered noses and hollow cheekbones. She could imagine their illness swirling around her in deadly waves. The deck vibrated beneath her feet, and panic swept through her. She had to get off the boat before they left. Dana hurriedly kissed her mother's forehead and ran to the side of the vessel. But it had already pulled away from the dock. Dana's heart sank. She couldn't just leap into the water. She didn't know how to swim. She sat back in the boat, shaking. She'd have to tell the captain what happened when they got to the island. Her cheeks burned with embarrassment at the thought. Nausea churned her belly. Suddenly, she realized how close the bodies were to her. Too close. And there were so many of them. Donna swallowed and tried to still her racing heart. She crept beside her mother and touched her hand through the cloth. Her pulse immediately slowed. Her mother always made her feel calmer. 
Half an hour later, Donna could finally see the island. Its peak was a vibrant green under a cloudless sky. And soon she could see the white sand of its beach just beyond the cerulean water. It almost looked beautiful, but Dana knew it was far from an oasis. Her stomach churned again as beads of sweat dripped from her brow. Sitting among diseased corpses was bad enough, but going to an island full of hundreds of plague victims was a nightmare. The motor cut out and the boat drifted to the dock. Dana could hear the boots of the crew hitting the deck and heading toward her. Two sailors and the captain came into view. The captain frowned in surprise when he noticed Dana. She quickly explained that she just wanted to say goodbye to her mother. He called her a stupid little girl. Didn't she know there was illness here? Dana's stomach suddenly flipped and bile rushed up her throat. She leaned over the side of the ship and threw up into the water. She felt delirious, just like her mother had. Donna took a breath and reasoned that she was only seasick. The bodies being so close to her had upset her stomach. She was fine. She looked to the captain and noticed he was staring at her with something unsettling in his expression. Fear. Horror washed over Donna as it dawned on her. It didn't matter if she was just seasick. The captain thought she had malaria, and they couldn't take a sick person back to the mainland. The captain and the crew advanced on her, demanding she get off the boat. Dana cowered behind her mother's body, begging them not to leave her. She'd die alone on the island. A sailor grabbed her arm, but Dana resisted. She yanked it free from his grip, but the quick release made her stagger backward. She gasped as she hit the back railing of the boat and teetered backward. She grabbed for something to keep her balance, her grip latching onto her mother's hand. But the force of her fall was too strong, and Dana pulled her mother off the boat with her. They hit the water together with a huge splash. Dana kicked as hard as she could, trying to get to the surface, but she didn't know how to swim. She sputtered as she tried to keep her head above water. She could see the crew watching her, stunned. But when she called out for help, they turned their backs to her. She flailed until her exhausted limbs couldn't fight any longer. The water was so clear, she could see the captain's face refracting in the sunlight as she sank below the surface. Donna looked down to see her mother's body had settled on the ocean floor. Her cloth wrap came loose, exposing her peaceful face and wide-open, dead eyes. Donna slowly sank through the water, joining her mother in the seaweed. She felt her lungs run out of air and her limbs go limp with fatigue. She grabbed her mother's hand, but this time, a calm didn't come over her. Donna could pretend that her mother was there beneath the cloth. But seeing that dead face staring blankly ahead filled her with loneliness. And it hurt just as much as the burning in her lungs. It didn't matter that Dana wasn't ready to be alone. Now, she had no choice. In the early 1900s, when malaria ravaged areas across Koh Kham Noi, 
The island was used as a cemetery for local Muslim communities. Its remote location allowed them to safely bury malaria victims, according to their customs, without risking exposure on the mainland. Throughout the years, Chinese Thai communities used Kokam Noi to bury their dead as well. Today, you can find a Muslim cemetery on one side of the island and a Chinese graveyard on the other. Locals often whisper that spirits prowl its shores. And though it might feel like a desolate and lonely place, that's only true if you don't count the dead as company. Coming up, an American soldier contemplates death. Hi, it's Vanessa from Parcast, and I'm here to tell you about my new 10-episode limited series, Obituaries. They're some of the most iconic figures of all time, celebrated in death for their individual achievements and impact on society. But in life, the relationships they kept tell a different story, one of unexpected connections that yielded extraordinary change. Every Wednesday on Obituaries, join my co-host Carter and me as we explore the shared legacies of prolific pairs from the past. From the mutual traumas of entertainers Marilyn Monroe and Ella Fitzgerald, to the unlikely admiration between visionaries Mark Twain and Nikola Tesla, each episode of Obituaries digs deep into the lasting impressions made between two legendary figures and how their entanglements changed the course of history. These meaningful duos may have passed on, but the profound effect they had on each other and us will live on forever. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Obituaries. Listen free only on Spotify. Now back to the story. During World War II, as the United States Navy fought Japan, they found Kokam Noi to be an ideal place to dock their ships. Its deep waters allowed the Americans' large warships to move freely, and soon the U.S. established a military base on the island. But despite the war raging beyond its shores, the soldiers on the island discovered their biggest foe wasn't the Japanese. Instead, it was a tiny, silent killer that quickly worked its way through the troops. The Mosquito. Henry lay on a cot on the beaches courted off sickbay. He was in the shade, but he didn't think he'd ever been so hot. He sat up with a groan. The glare of the sun made him squint as he gazed out at the warships sitting in the bay. They looked out of place against the pristine water. When Henry first saw them a few months ago, he thought they looked grand. Now he eyed them with disgust. For all their ironclad defenses, they hadn't been able to keep sickness out. A few feet from Henry, a man screamed in pain. Dozens of soldiers lay on the beach around them in their own feverish misery, all sick with malaria. Henry closed his eyes. He couldn't believe he was going to die here, like this. Henry was from the Midwest and had never been away from home before he was drafted into the Second World War. And his first assignment was in the Pacific, about as far away from Ohio as one could get. He'd gone from summer festivals, family gatherings, and a high school sweetheart, to hot days, endless bugs, and delirious, doomed comrades. A wave of heat hit him, and his vision went spotty. He tried to wave to a nurse that he needed water, 
but she ran by without even looking at him. No one ever looked at him anymore. The nausea and burning fever were terrible. Dying was terrible. But what truly upset Henry was that his death didn't matter. He wasn't with his family or friends. Nobody cared. He was just one of hundreds of men suffering in agony. He was surrounded by people, yet dying alone. Henry glanced behind him. There was a little stream just beyond the trees that he and the other men used to bathe in. He'd much rather be there, lying in the shade, listening to the buzz of wildlife, than roasting on a beach listening to other men die. Henry struggled to his feet and stumbled toward the forest. He expected to hear the nurse call after him, but no one said a word. If anything, his departure was probably a relief to them, one less body to tend to. Henry knelt beside the stream, letting it flow into his cupped hands. He sighed as he brought the cool water to his face. Then he slipped off his jacket and waded into the current. His head still pulsed, and his body felt like it was on fire, but it was still the best he'd felt in days. And somehow, despite this dream's solitude, he felt less alone here. A stick cracked nearby, and Henry heard the distinct sound of something moving amid the trees. He was too foggy to jump, but the sound made his pulse race. He squinted toward the movement, expecting to see an animal. Instead, he saw a young Thai girl. She stood at the edge of the jungle in a white dress, soaking wet. Her drenched hair hung like seaweed around her face. She was shivering. Henry frowned in confusion. There were no locals on the island, only soldiers. How did a child get here? He closed his eyes, wondering if it was some kind of hallucination. But when he opened them again, the young girl was still there. She gestured for Henry to follow her, then hurried into the jungle. Henry grunted with effort as he hauled himself out of the stream. He was in no shape to run through the woods after this girl, but she was here all by herself, and he knew what it felt like to be alone. He couldn't just leave her. He shrugged on his jacket and stumbled after her, his vision blurred as he tried to navigate the dense jungle. But he thought he saw the girl dash behind a fallen tree. But when he got there, she was nowhere to be seen. Maybe he had imagined it. It made sense that his feverish brain was conjuring up images. He could barely see in front of him. His head ached so badly. He felt beads of sweat drip down his back, and a wave of fatigue passed over him. He needed to get back to the nurse. The beach was awful, but at least they had medicine to help with the pain. Henry turned back toward the way he came, but he didn't recognize his surroundings. After a few moments, he stumbled out of the trees and into a graveyard. Small etched stones lay atop grassy mounds. He tried to read the carved writing, but it all blurred together. It took him a full minute to realize it was Islamic calligraphy. A soft whispering reached his ears, and Henry turned around. The little girl stood behind him, with her hands stretched toward him. Henry felt relieved. Maybe together they could find their way back to the beach. But when he took her hand, he winced. Her skin was freezing. Suddenly, the girl stepped forward, 
and told him in a harsh whisper that he was going to die. Henry gasped and backed away, but the little girl stepped closer, her cheeks flushed and her eyes wild. She repeated that he was going to die. He was going to die. Henry staggered back and lurched into a run as fast as his heavy legs would take him. He didn't know who the little girl was, but she terrified him. He could see her white dress flitting through the trees around him. She was running alongside him, begging him not to flee from her. She hated being alone and knew he did too. His pulse raced and sweat poured from his brow, but he didn't stop running. Suddenly, he burst back onto the beach. But it had changed. There were no officers, no nurses, no triage. The warships that had dominated the water were completely gone. It was now nothing more than a small, calm inlet. The aqua water lapped gently at the bleached sand, perfectly framed by the jungle's palms. Henry stood there, unsure if this was the same beach or if everyone had just left. He blinked, realizing his blurry vision had grown clear. He moved his arms freely and touched his forehead. The aches and fever were gone. He stood there shocked, and then laughed with joy. He was cured. Just then, a hand grabbed his, and Henry flinched in surprise. The little girl stood beside him her face now serene and sympathetic. Henry jumped back, nervous at the sight of her, but she held his hand tightly and told him it was okay. Everything would be okay. He was dead, but that didn't mean he had to be alone. The South Pacific is known for its damp and humid climate, which makes the region a fertile breeding ground for mosquitoes and, unfortunately, malaria. According to the National Museum of the United States Army, malaria affected almost one-third of Filipino and American soldiers stationed in the South Pacific in 1942. By the time the war ended, the opposing Japanese army had fared even worse. With an estimated 90% of their troops stricken with the disease in certain areas of the Pacific, Mild cases cause flu-like symptoms that would take soldiers out of commission for an extended period, but severe cases could cause deadly complications like anemia, brain swelling, or even organ failure. As a result, some American soldiers were killed long before they saw any action. They came to the beaches of Kolkom Noi to fight in the war, and today, many still remain. Coming up, a tourist seeks solitude, only to realize that on Ghost Island, you're far from alone. Now back to the story. Today, influencers and self-described wanderlusters flock to Kokob Noise beaches, seeking a picturesque getaway. But very few stay for long. Visitors claim to have seen ghostly specters, heard phantom wails of pain, or felt stricken with a sense of uneasiness. And most surprisingly, most of these tourists return to the mainland the very same day. But for those brave enough, the real adventure 
begins when the sun goes down. Cora sat on the bow of the motorboat, watching Kokom Noi grow larger on the horizon. Its gorgeous black volcanic rocks rose out of the sea, like a monster from the deep, its white sand like a smile taunting her. Oh, that was good. Cora lifted her iPhone and repeated her thoughts into a voice memo app. She ran a successful travel blog, specifically about the world's most untrodden paths. Remote locations, unknown cultures and customs, that was her jam. Because Cora loved being alone. She was in her 40s and had been this way her entire life. She hated crowds, the way they stifled and moved as one. She had nightmares about getting trampled to death ever since she was a little girl, so she'd come to enjoy being alone. In fact, she sought out solitude. Wherever she went, she was always looking for the quiet that lay on the outer edges of society. It was where she felt most at home. And here she was, going to a remote Thai graveyard to enjoy some true seclusion. Few people spent the night on Kokam Noi, probably because the cemetery gave them the creeps. But her blog was about doing things people didn't normally do. So she was going to pitch a tent. There was nothing to be scared of. After all, the boat would come back in the morning. Minutes later, they reached shore, and Cora stepped onto the dock with her pack. As soon as she was off the boat, the captain started the motor and sped off across the crystal clear water. Cora smiled. No stampedes of people, no lethal chaos. She was truly alone. She walked along the beach, narrating into her phone about the green of the palms and the midnight-hued rocks that rose into the sky. It was an explosion of color. Explosion of color? That was good, too. Her readers were going to love that. She reached the edge of a path that disappeared into the jungle. A sign told her it led to a Muslim graveyard. Her followers would be dying to know what it was like, so she wandered down the trail, narrating as she went. As she reached the clearing, she was greeted by dozens of rocks carved with religious symbols. The area felt peaceful, but loaded, like the air was heavy with something. Humidity, of course, but more than that, she had the strangest feeling of someone watching her. Cora jumped as a bright yellow bird shrieked at her from the edge of the clearing. She watched it for a moment, when her eye caught sight of something else in the trees. Cora turned. There was a little girl in a white dress standing at the edge of the jungle. Cora gasped, but just as quickly as the girl had appeared, she was gone. Cora stared at the spot where the little girl had been, then shook her head. It was probably just her imagination. The spookiness of the graveyard was making her mind play tricks on her. Cora paused. This might make a fun anecdote for her readers. She opened up her voice memo app and described what she thought she'd seen. That night, Cora pitched a tent on the beach and snuggled into her sleeping bag. The sound of waves was soothing, even when they loudly slapped against the rocks. It wasn't long before she drifted off. But soon enough, a noise pulled Cora out of her sleep. She could hear the distinct sound of someone breathing nearby. She groggily sat up and switched on her lantern, just as a chilling moan cut through the air. Cora's senses sharpened as adrenaline slapped her awake. 
that didn't sound like an animal. And it came from right beside her, right on the other side of the tent. She stared at the thin fabric, her heart racing. Her little battery-powered lantern cast her shadow on its surface, and she could see how tense she was just from the outline of her shoulders. And then, a small, childlike silhouette joined hers. Cora's breath caught in her throat, but there was something still confusing her. The light source was behind her. That's how her body was able to cast a shadow, which meant the figure was inside the tent. Cora gasped and whipped around, but there was no one there. Suddenly, the tent jerked to the side. Cora grabbed onto the fabric as a chorus of screams ripped through the air. Her heart was in her throat as she shot out of the tent and onto the sand. She turned to the water and froze in fear. Dozens of figures stood on the shore, lining up from one side of the beach to the other. Cora's mind raced. Maybe there were locals here after all, and they were going to hurt her for being an interloper. But then she noticed something. They wore vastly different clothes. Some were in old naval uniforms, some wore Muslim head coverings, and some were in traditional Chinese garb. Just then, the clouds parted, and moonlight hit their faces. Cora gasped. Each and every one of them looked sick. Their eyes were sunken and bloodshot, and their skin jaundiced. Vomit dripped from their chins and caked their clothes. They all gave a collective shiver, making the line they stood in undulate like the water behind them. This wasn't Cora's imagination anymore. This was real. She screamed in terror. Cora felt cold skin touch her hand and jumped. The little girl in white stood beside her, holding her hand. She told Cora not to be scared of them. She said that she used to feel alone too, but there were so many people here to keep her company. Cora struggled to catch her breath, her pulse racing so fast she could feel it pounding against her skin. Then the line of people walked toward her. The little girl gripped her hand tighter and said that Cora could stay here with them. They'd show her that she never had to be alone again. Cora began to hyperventilate. This was not what she wanted. It was crowds like this she'd been escaping from. She tried to break away, but the little girl's grip was too tight. All she could do was watch in terror as the specters drew closer, their arms outstretched. And soon, Cora felt their icy hands on her. They pulled and grabbed like each one was trying to wrap her into a tight embrace. The pressure was too much. They were pressing her so tightly she couldn't breathe. She screamed at the sharp pain of her ribcage, cracking. Her last thoughts, as the ghosts of Kokom noise squeezed the life from her body, was that Jean-Paul Sartre was right. Hell is other people. Today, Kokom Noi is open for visits from the occasional brave tourist. However, the island is now managed by the Royal Thai Navy and closed periodically to protect the island's wildlife. But despite who controls Kokom Noi, it will always be first and foremost a graveyard. <laughs> 
Though it's located not far from the mainland, the ocean somehow makes those buried there feel further away, their deaths more distant. Dying of infectious disease is a horrible kind of passing, fraught with loneliness and separation. You may die alone, and after you're gone, your body joins the many people who have met a similar fate. The graveyard of malaria victims on the island has become a kind of congregation of those who died in isolation together. So, despite its beauty, Kolkom Noi is not the tranquil place of solitude it seems to be. It's very crowded, just not with the living. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legend series, available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, Sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Kate Murdoch, with writing assistance by Molly Quinlan and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Amber Hurley, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Greg Polson. Hi, it's Vanessa from ParCast. If you enjoy our in-depth profiles on historical figures and famous fates, you'll love my new limited series, Obituaries. Every Wednesday on Spotify, join me and my co-host Carter as we explore the unlikely bonds forged between two meaningful figures from the past and discover how those relationships impacted the future. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Obituaries. Listen weekly, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.